This is The Bull, The Bear, and My Brother's Chair, a podcast hosted by brothers Nate and Brian Lucius, leaders of Gradient Financial Group. Each episode, they'll talk about how they're bullish, how they're bearish, and the chairs they cherish. I'm Jeff Bush, a 30-plus year veteran of the financial industry and nonpartisan political speaker, a financial thought leader and aviation aficionado. And I'll be on the podcast today to talk to the guys a little bit out of the political landscape and my professional speaking career, as well as some of the challenging parts of my business. And now, on with the show. All right. Welcome back to the Bull, Bear, and My Brother's Chair for episode two of season two. Nate, we've made it through the first episode. We have. I'm excited about that first one, the launch. I I felt like it went off uh, pretty much without a hitch, so I think we're good. Definitely did, definitely did. And we got a good guest on today. Uh, You know this gentleman named Jeff Bush with the Washington Update. I do. So what Jeff does, Jeff and his partner Andy Friedman, uh, both at the Washington Update, uh, are national speakers they speak in front of fortune 500 companies they speak in front of huge crowds actually jeff is going to be a speaker at our gradient summit later on this year and they have a unique uh, ability to talk about politics and what washington has coming down the pipe and how that does affect either industries or in our case uh, financial services business retirement accounts but they do it from a very non-biased uh right. point of view which is cool because they're just really laying out the facts and how both sides view it, which is, I would say, unique that someone takes a, you know, non-biased side in politics these days. Would you? I would agree. You know, every news station tells us they're not biased, but uh, not sure that that's the case. <laughs> I don't think I, I do have one question and maybe maybe you'll be able to ask him this. Yes. Maybe not. He may not have an answer. Um, when any president comes into office, OK. They lay out their agenda, and we all know they've either got four or eight years, mm-hmm. okay? Most have four, some have eight. And they put these policies in place, whether they're spending bills or uh, the automobile industry. Presidents are famous for putting in, by the year 2068, we're going mm-hmm. to be energy independent. Yep. And I don't understand that. They put in a 10 or a 15 or a 20-year, whether it's taxes or it doesn't matter what it is, they put in a 10 or a 15. They should only be able to put in four or eight. I mean, am I wrong? No, I would agree with that. And it's kind of like you're the CEO of a big company and yeah, I agree. You, you you leave and the new CEO comes in and he's like, you know what the problem is, is that last guy had the walls red. I'm going to paint them blue. That's right. You can't you can't come into a new situation and say, well, geez, everything's perfect here. It doesn't work that way. I'm just going to so follow the last guy's plan that, and keep that always, going. Uh, whenever I see some, they say, you know, uh, especially automobiles, you know, by the year 2042, oh, yeah. we're going to be this. And it's like, well, it all depends on how auto manufacturing, it, it just depends. And so that, curious to hear his take. And, and obviously nobody has all the answers, but I, I've never understood that. And I'm going to go less politics with him. I'm going to go more on his ability to present how to create effective presentations. Uh, public speaking is certainly something that those guys have down, which a lot of people are terrified of public speaking or what tips he has to be better at. You know, public speaking isn't always in front of 300 people. Sometimes right. it's in front of a group of 10. So well, I'll see if I can squeeze in some political questions. Yeah. But we don't talk too much politics on this show, we but don't. I do think a good starting point for this topic is a, a political discussion Policy. Non-biased on policy. And that is coming up to speed on the Biden proposed tax plan. Yes. I I will uh, preface this with we do have 
in front of us here, something that Gradient that we put together, which is the Biden proposed tax plan. And I repeat the word proposed only because uh, shocking as it may sound, Brian and I are not CPAs. No. Mm-hmm. We are not tax professionals and we are not giving tax advice, nor do we know anything in this proposed tax plan will go into uh, actual law or into policy. So with that, we're going to show share with you a couple of things that we're bearish and bullish on in terms of the proposed tax plan that uh, President Biden has put forth. So Go I'll, ahead, Bilu. I'll start with uh, one I'm bearish on, and that is step up in basis. So for those of you who don't know what that is, and many of you probably do, but current law says at death, beneficiaries receive a step up in cost basis equal to the value on many non-retirement assets. So you inherit a stock. Yep. Let's just say that my mother owned at $10, it's now worth 90. When it passes to me, I would then own it at 90. I wouldn't have to pay the tax on right. that $80 gain per share. So they can be very large numbers. The proposed change is to eliminate that step up and tax all the gains. And it's unclear whether the gains will be taxable immediately or at death or when the beneficiary chooses to sell. Either way, I really am not a huge fan of that. Um, one of the main reasons that I mean, it, that one has been tried, and I believe the Bush administration tried to pass that one as well. And it's just, it's so complicated and it affects so many different things that you can't just put that on the beneficiary to somehow figure that out because a lot of things have cost basis, right? right? And other, uh, yeah, items outside of stocks. That's what everybody thinks about, but any assets and different things, it's a very complex topic. I think where you'd have more success, I think he's going to struggle with that. I think where you'd have more success is, you know, in the capital gains rates, Mm -hmm. right? If you hold something for over a year, you get preferred uh, treatment through capital gains. I think that would be more successful uh, you know, holding something for a year and selling it versus having something that you've owned or operated for 27 years. I think that's a good thing to have long-term longevity. I'm not sure that that will, but I think the capital gains rates is something he would potentially have more success with. I would agree. And it's it also, for me, discourages long-term investing, long-term holding yes. of assets, things that, you know, are really the right fundamentals for people yep. to do. I mean, you take a look at a couple of weeks ago, the short-term investing craze that was going on with GameStop, AMC, whatever. I mean, I'm, uh, I like that that drew a bunch of young new investors into the market, yeah. but if you're ever really short-terming things, it generally doesn't work out long-term and holding is really the I believe strategy. the tactic was hold the line, right? Hold, that was the hold, the, hold line. the line, hold for the three, line. For three weeks. So that's, I think that's a topic for a whole other show that we probably will never but get to. long-term investing is a good thing too. Yeah, to I'll, I'll share a, a bullish one right. with you. Um, I think the, the way the world is going, uh, the Reddit stuff, all that you just talked about, I think opportunity for... Uh, younger, newer investors or or owners or people just, you know, starting off their working careers, I think it's there. And one of the things that he's gotten is proposed is a first-time homebuyer tax credit. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's proposing up to 15000 capped at 10% of the purchase price. So you buy a $140,000 home, potentially a $14,000 tax credit mm-hmm. for those people. I think with the younger folks and everybody says, well, they want to rent and they don't want to buy... And they're not, you know, 
middle-aged older gentlemen like us, mm-hmm. I think that changes with time, right? We all have these ideas in our head that, you know, you're, you're 22 and you're never going to get married and you for sure aren't going to work in the, live in the suburbs and you're definitely not going to own a minivan. And then 10 years later, it all happens. But I think the encouraging young people to make investments and to buy homes and giving them tax credits and other similar things, I, I don't see the downside to that. And I, so that one, I'm, I'm bullish on that. I don't see the downside to it either. And it, it's hard, you know, when you, you, you think back to when you were 22, 23, coming out of college and you got your first job yeah. and it paid X amount and you're like, oh my goodness, I wouldn't even be able to spend that much money. And you realize how expensive life is to get young people to buy houses, which currently the housing market is expensive. Now interest yes. rates are low, so it kind of counterbalances, but to encourage people to buy homes is a good thing because it definitely, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's a lot more costs that come along with owning a home, which spurs <laughs> the economy. That's right. And also, you know, you look at home ownership in general. I don't know that I've ever bought a house that I've really gained a huge appreciation in the right. house. Now, that doesn't take a part, though, when you buy it, hold it for 10 years and sell it, you end up with a big old check, right? Yep. <clears throat> now, when if you really, if, if you leave it at that math, you made out just fine. Right. But if you really add in the money that you put into it and all that, you kind of break even. But to me, it's similar to a... 401k or something that's an almost a forced savings that's account, right. if you will. Your equity's you. going in and where else in the world would a young person end up 10 years later with a hundred or $150,000 of cash? Even if it's their own money, they've got enough to go into their next phase of life. Yeah. Uh, I can throw out one that I'm uh, a little more bearish on and that is overall tax rates. Okay. Okay. I don't think there's any specific uh, what exactly is going to happen, but there's there's talk of repealing or getting rid of the tax, uh, was it Tax Cuts and Jobs Act yep. of 17, yep. which would you know revert to old tax rates. There's talks of just raising the top rate from 37 federal to I think 39, 39.6. 39.6. And so in general, uh, I think taxes are going up. I, I do not think many people could make an argument that taxes are going down. So again, I know there's more than one way to look at that, but uh, I'm just not sure that, you know, raising taxes and allowing the government to spend more money, which we already spend way more than we got anyway. I I don't know that I see the long term in that. I agree with that. And you look at, you know, the 2017, that tax cuts and jobs act brought everybody's every single brackets taxes down. Right. So really if he were to, repeal that, not that he couldn't put something back in its place, it would bump everybody's tax bracket up. Um, Really, it's putting, you know, that 37 to 39.6 tax bracket of 400,000 and above, it's kind of putting that back to where it was if he takes that route to it. Either way, I don't think cutting people's spendable income right now with the way the economy is shaping up is is a good move. I mean, we've got, obviously, the market has done well, the economy you know, they say it's doing well, but really you, there's a difference between what you see on wall street and what you see on main street. Businesses are closing. They need people spending. Right. So to me, it's just not a great time to do that. Now I do agree with tax rates going up as you have, you know, an insane deficit increase. And one could argue that the deficits relative to this, you know, the economy itself. However, you either have to do two things to get your deficit under control, right? Either the government spends less money or you, tax a lot more. And not only do we have to stop the deficit, we got to get it coming backwards. Now, 
do you really think that the government can spend enough less to not only stop deficit but getting coming backwards? I also don't think they'll raise rates so high to cover the outrageous no. spending, but I think we can all agree there's going to be a combination of the two coming. Yep. I agree. Um, uh, there's one one more. You you mentioned uh, businesses struggling on you know just restaurants and yeah. entertainment. Mm-hmm. If you haven't followed or check out Barstool Sports, yes, you follow them. I'm I do follow you do. Barstool. Dave Portnoy. What he is doing, Dave. If you're listening, we'd love to have you on the show, buddy. <laughs> uh, he's raised last time I saw 34 million. I think it is 34 million for restaurants, mm-hmm. and it's pretty cool. So if you haven't checked out what he's doing with Barstool and giving back to restaurants. Uh, you should do it. It's called Barstool Fund. Well, what's interesting about what he's doing, too, is, I, and I just watched one today. He actually did one on a semi-local uh, nightclub up in St. Cloud called Red Carpet. He's He gives them money to to give me your expenses and I'll, yep. I'll help you float. But it's not a three month or six month or, or 10, 10 grand. It yep. is, it is, we will help you until this until thing this opens back up. It's, it's pretty incredible. He's got videos online and when he calls, he FaceTimes the people. Anyway, that's a side note, yeah. but it's pretty cool. <laughs> it is cool for what he's doing to give back. I'll to, give you uh, the, give you the last one on bullish on, and I don't love this one, but it's, it's something that happens quite often is they're talking about uh, lowering the estate and gift tax exemption. So current law is a state and gift tax exemption is 11.7 million per person or 23.4 million for a couple for 2021. And then that tax rate caps out at 40%. Meaning I have a lifetime gift exemption, whether I die and pass it on or I pass it on along the way, I can gift down basically 23.4 million because me and my wife and no one pays taxes on that amount. They're talking about lowering that to three and a half million per person or seven million for a couple. Now, obviously, you might not know a lot of people that have 23 million. You might not even know a lot of people that have seven million, but that number has historically moved from two million to 23 million right. to 12 million. It jumps all over the board. <clears throat> and, you know, especially for, for people, when it moves, it does create an opportunity or a decision to start doing things with their money to get it back into the economy and get it into hands of people where it's not just sitting around. So that one to me is not any different than it's been over the last several administrations that it just moves around and it it, it gives the message of we're going to tax the wealthy I more. I agree. And a lot of these things we've talked about, if you do want a copy of the uh, for our advisors out there, of the Biden proposed tax plan, let us know. We're happy to get you a copy of this. But I do think, you know, with all of these, whether it's taxes or gains, if all of that stuff was the same forever, mm-hmm. right? it just just is what it is. Everybody just kind of sits. You know, the market's doing well. Interest rates are low. It's just everybody gets kind of complacent. And, I agree. And when things change, we all know we should be doing things along the way. But if nothing forces us to change then we just, eh, we're good. We're good right. to go. And so some of these things, whether you like them, you hate them, or somewhere in the middle, like it forces people to change and to do the things, much like virtual and much like all the things we've seen over the last year that we know we should be doing already. You should be preparing for retirement. You should be getting your estate plan in order. You should be doing tax planning. You should be doing all these things. And until somebody from the outside world oftentimes forces us, we just sit there. Yeah. And so and- I agree with you that a lot of it's, Although going from 23 to seven doesn't sound positive, mm-hmm. you know, it gives everybody an opportunity to make sure that 
Don't wait until the end. Do something about it. And there are other things, certainly, too, no matter what business you're in, like payroll taxes has a proposed change. Itemized deductions has a proposed change. 1031 exchanges has a proposed change. Child tax credits, child dependent care tax credits. There's a lot of things that, that can change. And itemized deductions is one of those things that you might not even know what it is or how it works, but the fact that I just told you that it's going to change might have you ask your CPA, hey, what is this thing? Whether that change affects you or not, just the fact that the headlines bring it to the forefront might allow you to look at your payroll taxes or look at something different and do something about it instead of just riding out and see how it's going to go. In total agreement. So with that, that covers our bullish and bearish. And I tell you what, Nate, since you had uh, ET on the last one, I'm going to take Jeff Bush on this one. So you head on out of here and I'll bring on Jeff. I will do. Well, we have Mr. Jeff Bush with us here. And like I was talking with Nate before this, uh, Jeff is a dynamic, insightful speaker. He's known for his unique ability to decode the difficult and confusing tax and fiscal information coming out of Washington, which is an Uh, obviously a popular topic right now. Uh, Jeff's a colleague of Andy Friedman. He's an integral part of the Washington Update. And Jeff has done more than 300 presentations yearly in the U.S. and abroad to a client base to include the who's who list of the Fortune 500 firms from Wall Street to Main Street and everywhere in between there. He's been featured on Investment News. He's been an analyst on uh, POTUS Sirius XM Radio. He's also going to be a featured speaker at one of our events coming up here in April. So with that, Mr. Jeff Bush, welcome to the podcast today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity. Well, we appreciate you coming on. And obviously, you know, politics has been your background. But, you know, if you have most people listen to the show, know we don't get too heavy into politics. So, you know, that was uh, we'll talk a little bit about how you ended up in politics, but more so you know, what, what the podcast is, is designed for is talking about business in general. What we often find is, is that no matter what business you're in, you obviously face different challenges. And another thing that I wanted to get some of your takes on is public speaking. I think most uh, business owners have the uh, chance and opportunity to do more public speaking, but as you might know, they're afraid to death to do it. So we'll discuss that a little bit too. <laughs> But why don't you, Jeff, I kind of read your official bio, but tell us a little bit about Washington Update and and how you ended up in this business and what it does. You know, that's really kind of a fun story. I I would like to tell you there was some grand plan around that, but (laughs) it really happened quite by happenstance. Uh, Andy Friedman uh, used to be someone we hired when I worked at a big Wall Street firm to do meetings and we, I would travel and we would have dinner together and I've always been a political junkie and I have an accounting degree, although I was never a CPA. Um, that was not my goal. Um, and, and so we just had these fabulous conversations and every once in a while over the course of years, he would say, Oh boy, if you ever want to leave your firm, you ought to come do this. Right. And of course I thought he would say that he was saying that to everybody. Right. <laughs> so, and, and, uh, 2010, having gone through a big merger, having gone through the 2008 financial crisis and, and so forth and managed the big sales team through that whole process, I was ready to retire. I, I was just kind of done. Mm-hmm. And so we, my wife and I had decided we were going to retire. This was in August of 2010. And in January of 2010, I was speaking with Andy because quite honestly, my firm hadn't paid him for an engagement. And so <laughs> he was collecting as to where this check was. And, uh, we were hanging up and he just randomly said, boy, if you ever want to leave your firm, you ought to come do this. 
And it's really? the only time I picked up on it. And I said, are you serious? And he said, yeah, actually I am. I said, well, you are going to believe this, but I literally have a flight tomorrow morning to New York. I'm resigning tomorrow. Really? And <laughs> yeah, that's how it happened. Well, the timing was perfect. And huh? So, exactly. Exactly. He happened to be presenting in my area about two weeks later. So he and I got together and hammered out how that arrangement might work and so forth. And four months later, I, I left my firm and started on the road speaking. And when I started, I had two events booked for that remainder of the year from April to December. Yeah. And uh, it, it was kind of a leap of faith at that point. Sure. <laughs> and we ended up with 63 paid days that year. Well, that's so. pretty pretty good first year. Yeah, yeah. And I, exactly. Uh, I was very happy with that. When I've seen you guys talk, you, you do a really good job of, you know, like I said, kind of balancing and getting out the information on what's coming out of Washington from a political landscape and how it affects the markets, which obviously affects, you know, clients and their retirement dollars and all those things. It, why, why you mentioned you were a political junkie, what draws you to the, to the political scene? You know, I, I think it's the strategy of it. Um, you know, it's like a three-dimensional chessboard and you have to be thinking on multiple levels at the same time, the decisions Mitch McConnell is making right now around the impeachment have implications for uh, the Republicans taking back control in 2022. And he realizes that, and that has to factor in at the same time, realizing that uh, he's got to appear to be working with Chuck Schumer enough to uh, give a, a Joe Biden a time period to get his cabinet put together so all of those things are happening at the same time, and I'd always just thought it was fascinating. Now, I'm horrible at playing politics. You can ask my family. You can ask people I work with. I'm terrible at it. But I love being an observer, and I, I, I think Andy and I have kind of come up with a, a formula, if you will, to be able to look through those headlines and mm-hmm. really start to understand that chess game behind the scenes. And it's probably because we really don't have a foot in either camp. Uh, right. You know, as you know, we're very nonpartisan. Right. Uh, Which is rare really these days. A math formula. <laughs> rare these days from a, you know, an educational <laughs> yeah. or hey, I guess you'd call somewhat what you do media or talking about things or whatever it is. And how, how did you guys come up with so much you see is one sided, right? Left or right or somewhere. There's right. very little in between. How did you guys decide that you wanted to stay in between strictly educational and why don't you think more places do that? Well, it's, I don't know why more people don't do it. I I have no idea. Obviously we have a very successful business model. It works very well within the financial industry and outside the financial industry. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I don't know why it's not been replicated. I, it's always fascinated me as to why I've never really come up with a good answer as to why it's not been replicated. Now, how we came up with that was that we looked at it, uh, you know, I have a a accounting degree, but I also have a philosophy degree Mm -hmm. and, and obviously Andy has a legal degree. And so we look at it from a logical perspective as to what can get done and what are the implications of it. And it's Mm -hmm. irrelevant, the political bent of whichever way that legislation goes in our Mm -hmm. mind. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I have a political affiliation. I feel strongly about my political and, and and beliefs and so forth. But I don't see that as relevant to what I do professionally. <laughs> right. You know. Yeah. 
And you, and you guys, you know, you obviously have built a successful business. You've spoken for several Fortune 500 companies and consulted mm-hmm. on you know tons of different things. And what what do you think are the the keys to to building that business over the years? What what are the keys to your success? What are some things that you guys have done really well? Well, with going back to that nonpartisan, that mm-hmm. is a line we never cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's just it's something that's core to the business model. It's something we committed to from the very beginning. That uh, that that the moment we cross that line, now we're just one of the multitudes. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and so I think that was always the key. And then I think secondary to that was our ability to put that put this kind of uh, uh, heady information, this confusing elements of Washington, D.C. into language that people could understand yep. uh, through analogy, through story and the like. But more importantly, where are there opportunities to take advantage of that? So we really take them through that whole continuum. Uh, I have 30 plus years in the financial business. And, and so with Andy's legal and tax background and my financial background, we literally take it from conception of an idea to can it pass? How can, how's it going to be implemented by the executive branch? How will the judiciary branch actually look at that situation? Does it, you know, conflict with any other issues? And then how might that advantage or disadvantage the end retail investor? Mm-hmm. And the or the financial advisor in the case of a DOL or something like that, right. and it's, it's just it just seemed logical to us, uh, um, and it it's been very effective. Yeah, no, I agree. And the, the other thing that you guys do a really good job, and I think that's for for any business or salesperson or educator or whatever it may be, is is you do a really good job of explaining what is going on, but you always end it with a why you care, what this means to you. Mm -hmm. And you break down things that other people don't understand and say, let me lay it out for you. And this is why it might impact you. And I think that's a very, you know, something in sales where they, people will tell you about things or how it works or whatever, but they forget the, the why should I care? Yeah. And I really think that's the value I brought to the partnership with Andy. Mm-hmm. You know, Andy had this tremendous knowledge of legal and tax background, but he had never been in re- in around retail financial sales. Mm-hmm. And so bringing that knowledge to it really completed that circle. And, and I think that's when we finally came up with the, the secret sauce, if you will, and how to make that work. Great. And you guys do, I mean, tons of public speaking event. I know Andy, I think spoke for us two years ago. We had 400 people. We have, I think we'll have 200 or so based on, based on restrictions this year. When you come see us, has public Mm -hmm. speaking always been an easy thing for you? Or, I mean, obviously you, you do so much presenting and you guys are so good at it. And it's one of the greatest fears for people. What was your journey into public speaking? Well, of course, having gone through sales and sales management, I was making presentations every day. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you, you know, I, I took a fantastic training course and it was called fusion training. Mm-hmm. And if, if I could recommend to any salesperson, if you want to have a great presentation training, uh, take a fusion class, great. it literally revolutionized my thinking around speaking. Cool. So that helped a lot. It gave me the structure that I was missing. I tend to data dump. I would just talk and talk and talk because I thought every relevant, every fact was relevant. And that's not the case. So that helped me a lot. But 
really put structure, put focus, put memorability into my presentations. Now, normally, Fusion is a five-minute type of presentation. So how do you scale that up to a 50-minute presentation and so forth? It, you know, uh, it, it, I can like to say that speaking has come naturally to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've never been nervous in front of groups of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not been an issue. It's, it's kind of funny. Uh, I did very few virtual meetings until 2020. Really? I maybe do three or four a year, three sure. or four years. And I would sweat profusely before them. <laughs> it is a different dynamic, terrified. isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. It's totally different. I would be so nervous before these virtual meetings. Now, I could stand up in front of 10,000 people. Don't really, I don't even think twice about it. Yeah. But to stare at that camera and deliver a virtual presentation made me nervous as all get out. No, well, I've gotten yeah. over that. Uh, you, know, well, yeah. you, know, you mentioned that I did, you know, I normally do 300 presentations a year. I did 93. Seven, no, ninety-three. Pardon me, just in October, really, uh, twenty twenty. Yeah, so we we surpassed the three hundred mark quite a ways this year. Well, and I asked you that know, public but, uh, speaking question as a former. I mean, when I first started public speaking, it was like a physical reaction. I mean, I thought I was going to pass out, and the only thing that cured yeah. that, kind of to your point, was fifty fifty you know presentations later, and you finally get over it. And do you have any advice for yeah. somebody who is just afraid of public speaking as to? How, how they can get into it and get more comfortable? Sure. That, that physical reaction that you have, that feeling, yeah. um, first of all, is because you're thinking inwardly. You're thinking mm-hmm. about yourself uh-huh. and what's happening inside you. What I find, the best presentations I give, I literally, one, I'm very well prepared, even mm-hmm. though my content changes almost on a daily basis, of course. But I, I, I'm well prepared. When I'm presenting, I don't think about what I'm saying. I know that sounds bad, but I don't. I really am watching the audience. What are they picking up on? How are they reacting to what I'm saying? Do I see confused looks? Well, then I'm going to spend a little more time on that topic and maybe give a little explainer. So it's a very dynamic uh, process by which I present rather than stand up and give a canned speech. Mm -hmm. What am I saying? What's next? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't think I'm not in my own head. I'm looking, I'm really looking at the audience. I'm thinking in two different parallels and that comes through practice. It comes from repetition. Mm-hmm. And so uh, if someone is really, truly wanting to get better at public speaking, I think Toastmasters is a great way to do that. Uh, National Speaker Association is, um, you know, if you're trying to do this more professionally, mm-hmm. it's an association that's very uh, uh, well suited to help bring resources to you if you're looking to move in a more professional speaking direction. So there are all sorts of opportunities, but nothing beats getting up in front of the group and doing it. Man, that's the kind of thing they tell me when I say, I know I want to run a marathon. How do I do, how do I run 26 miles? And they say, well, you start by running three. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. It starts with the first step. You talked a little bit about, you know, your, your presentations <clears throat> and obviously with the way that politics moves and certainly over the last you know several months and for the next several months, things are changing almost daily. How do you, what are the best lessons that a person could, you know, tips to, to create an effective presentation? What advice would you give somebody who has to create a presentation? Well, it, if it's a one-off presentation, those are tough because you, if you're truly trying to create a presentation, mm-hmm. it, it takes time. You know, mm-hmm. it takes a lot of effort. 
um, you know, my presentation constantly creeps as the news cycle progresses. So as I'm dropping off some of the older stuff, I'm picking up new stuff. And so I'm just constantly adding little bits at a time. So that, sure. that makes it kind of easy. And plus I have a kind of a system that I use. Um, but the, again, that fusion process, it, yep. that's what it is. It's a process for writing a speech. And it's, it's all designed around memorability and so forth. It's a fabulous course. It sounds like I'm selling it for No, them. no, I'm going to check it out. I don't <laughs> – yeah, please do, yeah. But it, it, for any salesperson, it is an absolute no-brainer that you go through fusion. Because, cool. one, either you, know, you speak too much and you talk your way out of the sale, mm-hmm. right, or mm-hmm. you don't give the client the information they really need in, in a structure that they can remember it. <laughs> Those are generally why you lose a sale if you're actually face-to-face in front of a client. Yeah. And so that's what Fusion does. It gives you the structure and is focused on memorability, and you get rid of all the stuff you don't need to tell the client. That's and I don't mean that from a compliance perspective. I mean, no, a, no, I get, know, I a, get what you, yeah. It's the, the stuff that nobody, that does, somebody doesn't care about and doesn't need to know. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely, uh, you know, you see those speakers who are so smart and you walk away thinking, I don't know what that guy's talking about, but he sure does. <laughs> uh, and now let's let's take that, you know, public speaking, 300 speeches a year, big public events. Obviously, you, like many businesses, you know, the the shutdown came, events stopped. What did you guys do from a business structure to transition that? Well, it was kind of ironic in the sense that at the end of, well, Andy had announced that starting in January 2020, he was no longer going to travel. He would do conference calls. He'd do some virtual meetings, things like that, but he wasn't going to travel anymore. Now, he had no idea. Of course, none of us did. Mm -hmm. uh, The rush of virtual meetings that we would actually end up with. So he was much busier in 2020 than he ever thought he would be. He was trying to slow down, uh, huh? So I think he's looking, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think he's looking forward to 2021, kind of tapering that down. Sure. But then, uh, so yeah, that's what happened. I was very busy. I had a great start to the year, just like any um, business. You know, if you get off to a fast start, the likelihood of having a good year is much higher. Yeah. And then in March, the whole thing fell apart. It was literally just managing the decline of your my business Mm-hmm. over a two, three week period, right. losing significant income, booked income, because, mm-hmm. you know, over that time frame, it was horrifying. Yeah. And the phones weren't ringing. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to end up washing cars. Right. And about three weeks, I'd say, let's say April 1, about that time frame, all of a sudden the phones start ringing again. And is, could you do this virtually? Can you do this virtually? And you leveraging these new platforms that we didn't use previously, right? Maybe mm-hmm. we did WebEx, no video, right. you know, in years past. Yep. Um, and, and so then it just kind of exploded from there. And I was so blessed. My clients embraced it. Uh, they embraced the message that we're delivering. It obviously is a presidential election year. It's yeah. funny, my wife said, oh my gosh, why this year? You know, because we're going to have such a good year. Right. I said, thank God it was this year. People still want me. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, thank God we had, uh, we were in high demand. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, I haven't taken the time to actually go back and count how many virtual presentations I did. I, I just don't want to because mm-hmm. um, I think it would be a little overwhelming. But as I said, in October, I did 93. 
And there were, I did two two days. I had eight in a day, uh, several days of seven. And those are really hard, you know, because you try to bring energy, try to bring excitement. And then you're halfway through your presentation said, Hey, I've already talked about that to this group or not. You know, I can't remember. You're even sick of your jokes by the end of that day, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the other side. You don't know if the audience is laughing. You're on a camera, right? That's, that's the thing that you said. And I remember the same thing, you know, I, I had been doing lots of presentations finally, as I got over my fear of it and, you know, I have no issues with them now, but I, I do remember my first few webinars that I gave years ago on having you get in a half hour early and you're nervous because you can't see people. You can't see if they're listening or there's no, and there's no banter or feedback or, you know, all that. It's just you talking and you can almost get in that rhythm where you're talking and you almost forget where you are because it's just you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a change. You know, that took a little time to build into my thought process. You're absolutely right. Is that, okay, I know the client's going to have a reaction or the uh, attendee is going to have a reaction at this comment. So I yeah. need to give them that moment right. and, and do that virtually with no feedback. It was, it was hard. Right. Uh, I would love to go back and listen to a recording from April versus a recording from November. I guarantee my skill set improved dramatically from that time frame. And uh, <laughs> I did have one opportunity. I had in October, I had a client actually, want me to fly to their location and videotape virtual presentations, live really? stream, I should say, live stream to presentations. So, mm-hmm. so I thought, well, sure, heck, I'm happy to go anywhere at this point. So I fly to this location. And of course there were, there was a camera crew and stuff in the room, really, as well as the, a couple of advisors and they actually laughed. <laughs> You know, they reacted to my presentation. It threw it's me humans. off. humans. <laughs> exactly. Human interaction. It was amazing. And so it, uh, that, it really did. It was a lot of fun, but it, it really threw me off. So I just yep. can't wait to get back in front of a live audience. It's so much more fun. And, uh, and, and so much of the value, I think, that, that we bring mm-hmm. is if I don't have to jump on an airplane, I'm going to hang out. Right. And if you have a dinner afterwards or... Uh, whatever I'm, I'm sitting there eating with your clients and, and or with your advisors and answering questions and we get into great dialogue and yeah and, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, lot of fun. Yeah, but we're we're excited to get back into them too. And what uh, what what would you say are the most challenging parts of of your business? Now you're in a public speaking educational business. What would you say are the most are the hardest part of your business? Uh, you know, the hardest part is keeping up, especially when you are traveling. Uh, that was one positive thing about the COVID thing. I could sit here all day long and read and research and things like that. And when I'm traveling a lot, especially during my busy times, uh, that's very challenging to, to keep up. Uh, because right. it's very common for me if, if I'm talking about, you know, topic A and something changes this morning, I change my presentation for that day. And right. from you know that day forward, so I'm constantly bringing that new uh, information into the presentation, and and that that was that was difficult. Uh, okay. Psychologically, the biggest challenge to my business is that it's it really is a um, I, I don't know the right marketing or sales term, but I, I'm sitting here waiting for the phone to ring to get hired, and that that's a little mm. unnervy at times, <laughs> you know. But uh, you know, back in sales, well, if you know. 
anytime I felt anxious and when I was in sales or wholesaling or anything like that, I just picked up the phone or, or yeah. got in my car and drove somewhere and talked to somebody. <laughs> right. And it's, I, it's amazing. By the end of the day, you feel good. There was, uh, and, and here, you know, you're, you're just kind of waiting. <laughs> our, our, my, my season ending guest was my, uh, for season one was my father, Chuck Lucius. And he has an old saying that's, there's no problem. You can't prospect your way out of. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Activity is the cure for everything. That you, know, it you may is. be bad at something, but if you do it long, if you do enough of it, you're, you're, you're going to get enough good silt through that, uh, screen that you can be successful. Exactly. Yep. No, I hear you. Now, what, uh, no, you mentioned all these, the webinars and live speeches. Do you do webinars for just larger companies? Do you do them for financial advisor offices? Oh. How does someone, if they want to use you, what, what types of things are, do you, what do they use you for? And then what types of presentations yeah. can you do? And what's your kind of general client look like? Well, you know, our client is pretty, Clear. It's going to be higher income, higher net worth, business owner, or executives, or financial advisors. That, mm -hmm. That's really who we speak to. Uh, you know, I spoke to the Pet Food Industry Association. Well, I spoke to them because they're business owners, mm -hmm. right? And uh, so when I speak for financial advisor, I spend enough time in the retail business and so forth that I understand what my job is. My job is to make sure the relationship you have with the client is reinforced. And then the goal is to make sure that that client walks away from the presentation with a reason to call you mm -hmm. and to say, Hey, you know, Jeff talked about this. We need to get together and talk about it. I, I know that's what my job is. And I build that into the presentation. And I think that's where we get a lot of great feedback when, when I present for advisors and so forth. But as far as audiences, Oh, you're right. Yeah. I speak to groups of 10,000. I speak to groups of 10. Right. Uh, it's just all over the place. Uh, it really is the type of environment that you, the advisor is trying to create and the mm -hmm. opportunity you're trying to create. Some people want a very intimate, very exclusive type of event, make it, it make the client feel like they have access to something that they may not otherwise have access to. Or, you know, you, you just want to make this available to all your clients. Maybe you're, you have a, uh, webinar series and I'm just one of right. those webinars that you provide to your clients. So it's all over. So Jeff, if somebody wants to find out more about you, I know they can go to the WashingtonUpdate.com. You have resources on there. Talk a little bit about what they can find on that page. Well, yeah, absolutely. So on our website, the WashingtonUpdate.com, you can certainly contact us if you're interested in uh, hiring us for an event for your for you locally. But more importantly, you can also use that as a resource. We have a, a catalog of old white papers that we've written. We are not prolific writers. We don't think there's any value in us just writing for writing's sake. Sure. If, if you can get the same information on the evening news, then why, why should we write about it? So <laughs> we really are very selective when we write. So we'll write white papers, but we also do updates, which are shorter, about 800 words, and you can sign up for those. On our website on the right side of the landing page, there's a button that says Receive Free Updates. Just click the link and... Uh, put your email address in, uh, in there, and anytime we write an update, it just automatically gets emailed to you. Cool. So it's real simple. We don't charge for any of that. We think that's value add. It really is just an opportunity for us to keep you abreast of what we're looking at and what we think is interesting. One of the areas that we've really expanded in the last several years is going to be on the lower right-hand side of the website on the landing page, and that's an active feed of articles that we're reading and we think are uniquely interesting for whatever reason. Cool. So once or twice a day, we'll post 
anywhere from one to four articles that we think are uniquely interesting for whatever reason. And right. the goal of that process is that, yeah, you know, let's say that there's a topic A that comes out on the news today. Well, I'm going to find a writer from, from who leans up to the left, and I'm going to find a writer who leans to the right, and I'm going to give you both articles because cool. the truth is probably somewhere in between. <laughs> Isn't it and, always? And, and, <laughs> exactly. You know, and don't get me wrong, but I think our newspaper writers do a very good job, but they mm -hmm. have natural bits. Yep. And you can see that when you have the opportunity to read and research four to five hours a day, like Andy and I each have. Mm -hmm. And so we know the writers, we understand their bent, we understand how they write. And so we try to do that on issues. We can't do it every time because sometimes there just aren't that many writers focused on that topic. Sure. But that's the ultimate goal is to, you know, every financial advisor has a reading inbox of about two feet deep. Right. And I can't do anything about that. But I can take your political and tax reading, and I do that via the, that method. You can also follow us on any social media, Facebook, Twitter, uh, uh, LinkedIn. Just search The Washington Update, Jeff Bush, and you'll find our links. You can do it, uh, That also populates with those articles. Excellent. Well, I definitely appreciate you coming on the show today, and it's uh, congrats on your guys' success and the ability to transition and have a successful 2020, and certainly appreciate all the tips that you've given us on presentations and public speaking and uh fusion training i'm gonna have to check out too so <laughs> it was more than helpful so we appreciate you coming on the show and i do look forward to seeing you in front of real live humans in april i am looking forward to it as well thank you so much thanks jeff